This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, January 22nd, day three of the Australian Open, officially in the books. The first mostly normal schedule day we've had thus far. Day one, the second half of the action rained out. Day two, an 88 match extravaganza. Today we had what we expected, the first half of our second round matches for the men's and women's. I think there were eight women's first round matches thrown in. In there as well. Doubles play getting underway on the grounds too, so a lot of fun tennis to talk about. And really, for the first time, you know, there are a bunch of upsets that I feel got lost in all of yesterday's action, but today we've really got some fun matches to zone in on. Joining me to do just that, you know him as a former superstar for the Denison men's tennis team, a co host of this mini break podcast, a man I affectionately referred to as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the mini break podcast, back to back lunch days spent with you. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, it's truly becoming my lunch special. Uh, no, it's going to be a <laughs> lot of fun, and I appreciate it because, uh, you know, I'm always down to talk Australian Open. Uh, listeners, Turn- you don't even know how many conversations Gruskin and I have offline about the Australian Open, so <laughs> this is only a sliver of the pie, let me tell you. Yeah, no, you went to the lunch counter. You said, I'll take a turkey sandwich with a side of mini break, please. Uh, does that, is that work correct. for you? Yeah. yeah. Well, so, no, it works of... because this is my lunch break. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, here we are. <laughs> uh, that was a good pun. I like that. A little mini lunch break. I will take that. We can adjust the name accordingly this week. And of course, the reason we are recording at this midday hour to get you listeners well up to date for all things heading into this fourth night of Australian Open coverage. I suppose fourth day there, uh, fourth night for us on the East Coast, given the time difference between the two places. Before we get into that coverage, have to give a shout out to our two sponsors at Diadem uh, and Aerobar for Diadem, the racket tennis gear company. If you haven't heard of it, you really should have. You know, we're big college fans here at Cracked Rackets. Guys like Carousel, Seiko Bangora already rocking their diadem gear out on the court. And look, we say it all the time. Look good, feel good, play good. You will be looking good and playing good using that diadem gear. Using a promo code of our CR50, you can get 50% off your first order. So anyone who's not doing that, if you appreciate... Uh, these midday pods, the fact that we are trying to get them out to you before the next night's action start, uh, we would appreciate if you give our friends at Diadem a look. And again, 50% off your first order with that code CR50. Look good, feel good, play good. To feel good, you got to be eating good. And we all know nothing better to fuel your body with than Aerobar. Aerobar, the tennis-specific energy bar uh, we have grown so close with in our partnership here at Crack Rackets, of course, to go check that out. You can get 30% off your order uh, using the promo code CRACKED30. 
30 to any of you listeners there. And that's how I'm going to segue into our first match because fuel so important in this best of five format. And boy, did our two players in the first match I'm going to break down today, Jamie, really need all the fuel in their tanks heading down the home stretch of the match. The first match we are going to break down today, I think the match of day number three, Tommy Paul, the young American, uh, it affectionately taking on Grigor Dimitrov in something we called the GQ Bowl. Now, it's not always. You get two players so handsome on the court together. So, of course, it was a win for all of us from the get-go. But the tennis matched the handsomeness. It matched all of the above, the ridiculousness of the outfits. None of that mattered because, simply put, this was two. these were two guys playing phenomenal tennis. And this is the match we're starting with, Jamie. Tommy Paul taking a 6-4-7-6-3-6-6-7-7-6-10-3 in the fifth set breaker win over Grigor Dimitrov to advance to his first third round ever at a major so many different places we could go with this, Jamie. The place I want to start, 50-mile-per-hour winds were a factor throughout the day in Australia. And in these early matches, you know, people who are staying up watching the tennis late on the East Coast, this was probably the match that forced them to stay up till 1, 2, maybe even 3 a.m., depending on where you were uh, in the USA. Uh, but this match, just it had it all. Yeah, sure did. Um, really, from start to finish, this was an entertaining one. And there's so many different things that you could say about both of these guys, right? But to me, just how impressive sort of the mental fortitude of Tommy Paul in this one. And, and I think brings us even more hope and promise about his future moving forward. Because let's face it, to notch a win like this, not only is it an upset over a seed, it's a guy who's had deep runs, who has looked pretty good as of late, and had very deep runs specifically at the Australian Open. So this guy knows how to win. He knows how to go deep in this tournament. And the most impressive part about this is Tommy Paul plays good, you know, a couple of first sets, gets down, though, and loses the third and fourth set. You know, I feel like a lot of people are thinking, oh, man, Dimitrov's got this. Tommy Paul does not back down, comes out, wins that fifth set, and ends up dominating the super tiebreaker and getting it done. And so that, to me, being able to flip from losing the third and fourth sets to winning the fifth um, was just very impressive uh, on the side of Tommy Paul. And with this win alone, Tommy Paul now up to a career high, number 69 in the live rankings. We can talk about his projections moving forward in a bit. But you're absolutely right. Coming into this event, Tommy Paul, not a guy who has a ton of Grand Slam tennis under his belt. I think we all remember uh, that first round when he went through three rounds of qualifying to qualify at the U.S. Open. I want to say it was 2016, 2017 maybe when he did it for the first time. Uh, First time came all the way back in 2015. But this This Grand Slam, only his fourth ever Slam main draw. And Tommy Paul, a guy who at 22 years old, former Junior Slam champion who won the Junior French Open all the way back in 2015, made the final that year at the Junior U.S. Open before losing to fellow American Taylor Fritz. I think listeners of this podcast are well aware of Tommy Paul's credentials. He's been a guy who has had success at the ATP 250 level. I think that came back in 2017 when he had a nice run in Atlanta, a nice run at the City Open as well. And then injuries were a big part of his early story. A couple of different ailments taking him out for three, you know, four or five month stretches in different parts of his career. So he hasn't progressed as the at the rate of his 97 contemporaries, Taylor Fritz and Riley Opelka. That being said, just to reset the scene for you listeners, tonight was Tommy Paul in a nutshell. He just makes everything on a tennis court look so easy. And when you're playing a guy like Grigor Dimitrov, who has finesse as a major part of his game, Grigor 
Tariq Orr is not going to necessarily overpower you, but he's going to keep working you to the outer thirds. Use his slice backhand to make you uncomfortable. He's going to make you think you can come forward on a shot only to use his athleticism, leverage it, to hit an incredible pass. None of that mattered because tonight Tommy Paul, at least Jamie in my opinion, showed off why we've all been been so hopeful for him and it's because on a tennis court there's no skill he doesn't possess yeah I mean look this is a guy who is solid all around right and so that's why he's so fun to watch too he got the athleticism you know he's got all the different shots he can pull them out and and, and he used all of them in this you know marathon over four hour match against Dimitrov and to me too this is one where you know you're rooting for these guys and you see then when they start stacking up against sort of the big guns on the big stage it's like oh are they gonna are they gonna hold up or are they gonna sort of shrink under pressure and Tommy Paul stood up to this big time. Um, you saw it, the weight of his shot. It looked like he belonged out there. Not just him as a person. His strokes, his shots, they looked like they belong out there. It's, you know, he was that good. And that's the caliber of a player that you know, we know he is and that we've come to expect. And now, I mean, you don't want to look too, he- too far ahead in the draw. But, I mean, realistically, Tommy Paul, he's not in a bad spot in this draw at all. No. First of all, great rhyme. Hey, great shot, as we like to say. Paul, not a bad spot at all. Um, I'm also really getting into the stats here on this Australian Open site because not only do they have the the general stats for serve percentage winners, unforced errors, they go even more specifically. Grigor Dimitrov in this match goes a plus 12 on his forehand ground strokes, 17 winners, 21 forced errors against only 26 unforced errors. Tommy Paul in this match, 6-0 on backhand passing shots. Each of the six he got. I mean, just to see the stats you can play with you can do all of that but I don't think you need to go that deep to talk about the things Tommy Paul did well here in fact if you watch the match those first two sets from him were just incredible I mean the distance he had to move around the court because Grigor worked him Grigor kept going corner 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 Grigor in particular really saw the Tommy Paul forehand as the weaker side I thought that was the side he was serving to I thought that was the side he was attacking and yet Tommy did just enough with his forehand more impressive maybe even than his movement, is the way right before he's going to change directions if you hit behind him, that he can just so subtly slide, and all of a sudden his momentum is turned. I thought the forehand slice return that we kept seeing from Tommy Paul when Grigor would stretch him wide, Tommy was getting it deep. He was doing enough to get the point back to neutral. Jamie, you must have been in love with this match watching Tommy hit all of those forehand slices. Love a good love a good slice return. Let me tell you what. The amount of times that I actually <laughs> tried to hit out on a first serve return, uh, pretty much a 0% in my career. Uh, no, so you got to love to see that. No, he did a phenomenal job of neutralizing the point and then getting it to a, a place where he was in a good position to actually win the point, whether that be a finishing shot with the backhand or simply being able to come up with an answer to every single shot that Grigor threw his way. So really impressive stuff from Tommy Paul. And I mean, Ultimately, this is just a phenomenal result for a lot of reasons. But the biggest one now is, hey, Tommy Paul, you belong here, right? Yeah, without question. This is just, it's a legitimizing win for him. He knows how close his level is. I'm sure in his mind, there's no gap. And, you know, he pushed team last year to four really close sets at the French Open, was right on the cusp of winning that match. He's been a guy who's played, you know, a bunch of swam, uh, slam quali draws, just hasn't made it through to the main draw. Uh, but he should be playing main draws the rest of the way here in 2020. And that is certainly an exciting prospect if you're an American tennis fan. The thing that maybe that we haven't talked about yet that I think we have to touch on before we can move on the most exciting aspect of this the level of tennis through those first three even that fourth set breaker was it was such a high level maybe less so as we approach the end of the fourth 
but you could tell the gas was on empty for Tommy at the start of the fifth, and he got two early holds, but he went down an early, you know, he goes down 3-2 in that fifth set, down a break. He breaks right back. You can only imagine the mental uh, the amount of energy you have to spend to stay locked in, to stay focused, to get that break back. And then Grigor breaks him right away again to go up 4-3. They trade holds after that. Grigor serving for the match up 5-4, 30-love. And then something just possessed Tommy. I mean, at 30 all and the 30-40 point, two forehand slice returns that he managed to dig himself out of. He ended up getting his way to the net. And that's Tommy Tommy Paul in a nutshell. He can slice out wide. He can play defense. And he's not afraid to move forward, turn it into offense. 17 of uh, of 38 in total, I think, at the net. No, I don't think that's right. I'm on set five. Excuse me. You look for him in total at the net throughout this match. 19 of 31. Uh, he went a 9 of 14 in that fifth set. So, you know, 14 of those 31 chances coming in the fifth. He could adjust. And it's just why, God willing, he stays healthy. I talked about he's now inside the top 70. There's no reason we can't see Tommy fall inside that top 50, inside that top 40, in that slam seed range come the start of the 2021 season. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, putting together a performance like this is enough of a reason in and of itself. But, you know, just real quickly, I wanted to say, too, it reminds me, um, you remember the match of Dimitrov and Mackie McDonald where, you know, Dimitrov, he ended up squeezing that out, what was it, 8-6 in the fifth, I believe. Um, but Mackie did put a lot of pressure on Dimitrov in a similar way that we saw Tommy Paul do it tonight, um, or last night, excuse me, I guess this morning, whatever it was. <laughs> it was recent. Um but Tommy Paul was just ultimately able to get across the finish line. And like like you mentioned, all the trading breaks in that fifth set, being able to stay within striking distance and then get across the line once he got into the breaker was incredibly impressive. So I, I think the fifth set and Mackie-Dimitrov match, the fifth set of Paul-Dimitrov and the, and the entire Mackie-Dimitrov were the most like, because I remember Mackie just bull rushing that, just yeah. bull rushing the entire And I don't think that's what... Tom, but I don't think that's what Tommy Paul did no, in this one. No, but he had it in his mind that that was a strategy he could use and employ. I think there were times, too, you mentioned bull rushing. There were times when Matthew just straight up run to the net and it's like, okay, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, <laughs> but Tommy Paul, no, he was very strategic about it. But just in the way that he constantly tried to apply pressure, I think he was smart about it. He probably did it at more correct times. And ultimately, it paid off when he did do it and executed it properly. Yeah, and for Tommy Paul's semifinal in Adelaide to start the year, now he makes the third round here in Australia. He's showing he belongs at the ATP Tour level. No more challengers for him in 2020. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's enough on that. Speaking of people who are ready for the primetime show already at this point in their career, the next match I want to talk about, she continues to be a breakout star over these past three majors, and it's evident why uh, so, so many people are so excited to watch her career transpire over these next 15 years. The player, of course, I'm talking about, Coco Gauff, who once again shows adversity is not something she's afraid to deal with in her Grand Slam matches, comes back from a set down, comes back from a breakdown in the third set, and ultimately advances to the third round once again as she knocks off Serana Kirstea, 4-6-6-3-7-5. Jamie, I think the story for Coco is exactly the same as Tommy. The more you watch both of these players play, it's not only the physical gifts, it's the lack of fear in the big moments. It's the fact that it feels like both of them can do anything on a tennis court right now and that's why their future you know things bode so well for them yeah I mean just the fighting spirit right she's not out of matches you know she sees herself down you know in a set in a match it doesn't matter she's battling for it and you know this is a really strong case of 
Now she's at the point where she believes she should be out here, and that just makes her that much more dangerous, and that showed in this match especially. Yeah, you look at the stats for Coco Goff. Uh, two aces against nine double faults does not look good, but keep in mind she made 63 of 94 first serves, went 67% on that, won 73% of those first serve points. Her first serve at age 15 it's a weapon, and I'll say this over and over. The obvious comparison uh, people want to make is to Serena Williams, just because you look at a young future champion, you want to hold them to the stature of the highest, you know, the greatest champion, and that's Serena Williams in the women's game. Uh, but for Coco Goff, it's just. It, it shouldn't be this easy for her to hold serve already in her career. And you look at, uh, you know, she only lets up two break points. Now, Kirstea converts both of those break points. But still, I mean, for Coco Goff to only let up two break points at age 15, what was the match we were talking about yesterday, Von Drusova Kuznetsova, where it's like there were 16 breaks total? I mean, serving is half the battle. And it seems like Coco Goff is another one of those players, like a Madison Keys, uh, who's just gifted with one of those blessed shoulders. There's one a big first serve. Uh, you know, she topped out at 117, but she was throwing 106 in on average for the match. 30 winners against 39 unforced errors. Not great, but she went a tidy 14 of 23 at the net. It's just, you know, three of four on break points. She can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's that's why she's able to win, you know, specifically going back to her serve for a little bit, too. I mean, yeah, I think this is one, especially even though it is already a weapon, it's something that is going to continue to develop as she progresses. You know, one thing that's interesting, specifically, you, you already mentioned the nine double faults. And I think a lot of it, I mean, look, she's doing a good job of just keeping the returner completely pressured. But man, she goes after her second serve. I mean, her second serve average speed is 96 miles an hour. That is cool. That's quick. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's there's probably some potential there. Maybe take some MPHs off and put more spin on it. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, the, the point remains, though, that she's going after her shots, specifically going after her serves. And right now it's a formula that's working. Yeah, and I love the way she closed out the match. Of all the things, that was probably the most exciting part. The fact that I think she raced out to a 40-love lead just so easily, so routine, went big on the strokes. And the, the same thing, again, applies for both Goff and Tommy Paul. They played to win. They didn't play not to lose. Um, and for Coco Goff, that's what we've seen from her so often in her young careers. This girl plays to win. I mean, again, she's moving forward 23 times in this match. Uh, she has every incentive to be nervous, to play passively, to just kind of go out there and see what she's got. Nope, none of that matters because for her, she's locked in. And look, I think that one of the third round matches we can already say in advance we are most excited for is that Naomi Osaka Coco Goff rematch mm-hmm. uh, because that was one of the, ma- you know, the matches everyone's circled before the tournament as one they would like to see and you know it's a credit to Coco Goff again that she goes down a break I think it was 3-1 maybe even 4-1 in that third set and it just didn't matter she raced off to win six of the next seven games I mean that's that's crazy yeah no it's and it's crazy and it's impressive what it is and you know this is gets back to what I was talking about in terms of she believes she's supposed to be out there and she doesn't believe she's ever out of a match and so those two things when you combine them with the actual tennis and the physicality that she brings um, there's a lot of people out there who should be uh, very worried on the WTA tour about um, them when they square off against Coco Goff especially as she continues to um, grow mature and become more confident with with all these sort of match wins under her belt 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I'm going to keep going to these Infosys Plus stats. The side she did most of her damage with, the backhand ground stroke, 15 winners or forced errors against only 9 unforced errors. She's plus 6 there versus the forehand uh, where she went 12 winners, 6 forced errors against 18 unforced errors. And I do think that is one of her strengths, the fact that she likes to work that backhand pattern. She likes to go uh, forehand down the line, try and draw a backhand cross from you, or go uh, forehand big angle cross to try and force you to hit a backhand to her, and then when Coco Goff gets that first backhand, that's when she looks to move forward. Really special talent, someone I know we are going to be talking about on and on as we go throughout these next 10 years of tennis. Uh, but speaking of tennis, let's talk about our next match, and you can't talk tennis without talking tennis, so I suppose it's time to talk a little tennis. Of course, I am referring to Tennis Sandgren, one of the big upset winners on the day. He knocks off the number 18, Matteo Berrettini, 7-6, 6-4, 4-6, 6-5. Uh, two six seven five, uh, Jamie. I think the place to start with this one. You in or out on Sandgren going sleepless? Oh, I mean, probably out. <laughs> I mean, hey, look, he won, <laughs> right? So good for yeah. him. Maybe keep it rolling. But there were other people I would rather have sleeveless and would look cooler sleeveless than tennis, tennis Sandgren. I'll just say that much. <laughs> well, I will disagree with you and say that if Tennis Sandgren is going to keep putting in this much work in the weight room and he's going to keep getting wins like this, he can do whatever he wants, right? Yeah, imagine right. Matteo Berrettini sleepless all the time. Yeah, he deserves that, right? He was probably like, damn, this guy might actually have bigger yeah. biceps Maybe that's me. why he. Maybe that's why he lost. No, it threw him off the first two sets without uh, without a doubt. But you look at the tennis in this match, and I'm sorry for the tennis puns early on. I couldn't help myself. Uh I mean, Sandgren was just rock solid. It was so clear what his game plan was, the same game plan you need to have if you're facing Matteo Berrettini, which is I'm going to make my first serve in this match. Sandgren, 105 for 146, 72% of his first serves go in. He wins 80% of those points, so he did a really good job protecting his own serve. He was only broken twice in the match. And then he, he extended points, and more than anything, he has a backhand that was good enough, he's disciplined enough, and he moves well enough that he found the Berrettini backhand as often as possible and we talked you know all offseason it's very obvious why you should be excited about Matteo Berrettini because that served that forehand across three surfaces what he proved in 2020 is that they are weapons but it's a credit to the discipline of Tennis Sandgren and maybe also speaks to what Matteo Berrettini still needs to work on that Sandgren was able to execute the game plan of just find the Berrettini backhand as often as possible even if it's a worse forehand down the line that catches you a little out of position don't be afraid to take his the Sandgren forehand down the line and force Berrettini to do something with his backhand, which in the end he just wasn't able to do. Yeah. No, I mean, you put it well, right? I mean, Sandgren had a clear idea in mind and, and was able to execute to that strategy. So, you know, all, all the credit to him. I think this is another interesting match, and this is this is part of the reason why we love five setters, right? This is another one where the winner wins the first two sets, then drops three and four but bounces back to win five. And I mean, that sort of adversity, you just lose out on that if it's a best two out of three set match, right? Like, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, on, it's, that's a whole nother topic. We don't need to. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, gonna, not, I'm, I'm not, not taking the bait. There. 
I'm not even <laughs> go there. I, I'm not even, I'm sorry. Here's what happened. I sort of dropped the bait out and then reeled it right back in. So don't even <laughs> go for it. Um, but no, I mean, I, th- I think it just speaks to the fact that this was a, a phenomenal match and B props to Sandgren, because this is another one where you see, especially that fourth set losing at six, two, I think most people are probably expecting what the eight seed, the Italian Matteo Berrettini, he's figured it out. He's going to come out on top. You know, he's looking good. He's going to win this fifth set and get away with a win, but no tennis Sandgren stands back up, um, shakes off the six, two loss and comes out and wins at seven, five. And so, I mean, that sort of, ability to overcome that obstacle in a fifth set decider that's impressive i'm gonna stick with these infosys stats plus because again shout out to this OzOpen.com you just love website. them i'm gonna let no you i mean <laughs> i much like i love diadem and aerobar i'm ready to have just these infosys stats as our sponsor but for if i told you for tennis sandgren look uh between winners and forced errors sandgren's gonna get to or sandgren berrettini's gonna hit 34 hands that you just can't make back the flip side of that, you're going to force him into 25 forehand errors. I feel like Sandgren's going to take that. He's like, oh, yeah, he's only hitting five more winners than unforced errors on me from the forehand side. I'm 100% in. Now, on the flip side, it's the backhand side. For Berrettini, only one winner, three forced errors, and 15 unforced errors on the backhand side. Uh, that's where Sandgren got the job done. I mean, he did enough forcing the ball to the backhand to make that uh, to you know earn advantages for himself, and he didn't let Berrettini Berrettini just slug away on the forehand. Berrettini felt the need, you know, what that shows me that it, he only had five more winners or forced errors than unforced errors on that forehand side, is that he started to press. He felt that the longer the points wa- uh, went, it was favoring Sandgren, and I think that was obvious to anyone who watched this match. Uh, but for Matteo Berrettini, it's about finding that second gear still. And, I, you know, this is not a bad loss. Tennis Sandgren has had success in Australia before. Quarterfinalist two years ago. Last year, he won his one and only ATP title in Adelaide before the start of the Australian Open. He always comes out of the gates in good form. Uh, but that was the lesson for me is A, you know, three out of five sets I think will always favor Sandgren as a format because of how physically fit he is, because of how many skills he has. But B, for Berrettini, still heading into this season as exciting as his year-end was, it's about finding that second gear if he wants to consistently make deep runs at these slams. Because this was a match, despite going down two sets to love, that he could have won. Yes. And, you know, it's it's finding the second gear and it's also sort of being able to react to, okay, people now have a strategy that when they play you, right? This is a similar conversation to what we talked about with Francis Tiafo, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, people are going to target that forehand. So now Matteo Bertini, he's like, you know, people are going to try and open up the court and then find that backhand to sort of pin you and then control the point from there. He knows that's coming. So now it's just how is he going to come back and combat that the next time he stands up against a guy who's executing well on that game plan? Yeah, well, look, to his credit uh, for Sandgren on the ground strokes, he was minus five on the forehand, minus nine on the backhand. Uh, but he did enough. It, it was yeah. okay that Sandgren started to make some errors because he just kept Berrettini on the court as long as he could. And you look at the match time for this three hours, 23 minutes, given how hard Berrettini starts, that is that is getting your court time. And it's a credit to Tennis Sandgren, again, that he was able to persevere, able to make that match physical. And it's why he ultimately finds himself in the third round. Now, speaking of pure perseverance, the next match I want to talk about, uh, one of the best comebacks on the day that didn't even end up going three sets or five, going the distance, I should say, excuse me, 
Caroline Wozniacki, who we talk about top storylines, results, and controversies on the mini break every day. I mean, she's one of the storylines of this tournament. It's her last Australian Open, the Australian Open, the place she won her one and only Grand Slam two years ago. Uh, in, in her match today, she faced off with a red-hot number 23 seed, Diana Yastremska. Yastremska raced out to a 5-1 lead. It just looked like Wozniacki didn't have enough in the tank, no weapon to hurt the young flamethrower at all. And then it was a flipping of the script. Caroline Wozniacki summoning, uh, summoning, I don't know if it's the power of the gods, I don't know if it's the retirement wizard, whatever it may be, summoning all the junk she could of Wozniacki past, scrapes out a 7-5, 7-5 win over Yastrzemska. I mean, Jamie, does this tell you more about Yastrzemska or does this tell you more about Wozniacki? No, I mean, the story here has got to be Wozniacki, right? I mean, I think it's it's probably biased in the sense that we're already thinking about her because we know that her back's literally up against the wall in terms of this is it. Um, but at the same time, how impressive is that? And and yeah, there were definitely times where the strength that didn't help her, didn't help herself, and in fact helped Wozniacki get to the right place. But I mean, what a fight from Wozniacki. And way to get this done, too, because this could have gone another set, but no, she gets it done in two and she's out. Well, what was crazy was how quickly it went from 5-1 to 5-all in that yeah. first set. I think Yastrzemska lost like 9, 10 points in a row uh, after going up 5-1. She just couldn't find the court for a stretch. I mean, she was—the the reason I love Diana Yastrzemska, the reason I want to talk about this match is because I just think the 19-year-old, the combination of athleticism and firepower off of both wings, she's a special talent, and I know we're going to be talking about her a lot over these next 10 years. In fact— wouldn't shock me if she sneaks her way into, you know, a U.S. Open semifinal at the end of the year just by being one of the younger players, the healthy players, come that portion of the season. Uh, but that being said, you're right. The story has to be Caroline Wozniacki, and it's so clear on her face, the emotion she's playing with, this being her last ride. And the fact that she was able to extend someone as powerful as Yastrzemska, find the outer thirds of the court, really lock in on making that first serve, which she makes at a 72% clip in this match, uh, 162% of those points, earns 14 break points for herself, 15 winners against only 15 unforced errors. She quickly identified Yastremska, who after going up 5-1, I say this lovingly and respectfully, really defeated herself in this match. She was her own biggest enemy, and it, you know, in her count, 36 winners against 47 unforced errors. I swear to God, you know, 17 of those winners came to go up 5-1, and then the rest of the way it was 19-47. Um, yeah. Now, that's not exactly right, but that's what it felt like watching this match. Uh, but you look for Caroline Wozniacki now in the draw and where she's at in her next match. She knocks out the seed, but, you know, she's going to take on Onz Jabour. Uh, how, given her form, because even in the post-match conference, Wozniacki said, look, I noticed Yastrzemska was beating herself, and I sort of let that happen. Uh, given her form, how far could you see Wozniacki going in this event? I mean, there's no reason to really see that she couldn't win this next round and get to the next one. I believe she would be on a collision course for Serena if she wins this next one. Is that correct? I believe that's I right in the bracket, so. if, I, if I remember right. That's um, crazy. And so that's how I actually, that's how I had it happening is Wozniak gets to Serena, Serena beats her, and that's the end. And if that isn't a fitting end, I don't know what is. But I mean, realistically, right now, if you're looking at Wozniacki, she's got the fighting spirit, and she's been able to dig herself out of any bad situation she's been in the tournament. So there's no reason to believe right now that she's not going to be able to do the same. Perhaps I think if she loses, it's going to be where she simply gets outplayed by someone like an informed Serena. And then, you know, there you go. 
No, I agree with you. I, I I didn't notice that in the draw before. I mean, I'm, I probably noticed it when we did the previews, but it just slipped my mind during all the chaos of this week. We've also got an ITA National Indoors coming up this week for any of our college fans, uh, so be on the lookout for that preview. But yeah, the idea of Caroline Wozniacki matching up with Serena Williams in her last match, that is such a fitting end uh, yeah. to what has been an outstanding career, obviously, from Wozniacki, and I'm sure we'll have more time to put her in proper perspective after this Australian Open end. Uh, but there is one, and, and you know, credit to her again, fantastic win over the young upstart Yastremska, who has to be kicking herself after blowing that 5-1 first set lead. But uh, speaking of leads almost blown, uh, the next thing, or leans blown, the next thing I want to talk about, our last match breakdown for the day, uh, a five-set battle, and it, another five-set battle, I should say, for our number 12 seed in the men's singles draw, Fabio Fodnini, who races out to a two-sets-to-love lead over Jordan Thompson, only to see those two set leads evaporate. Suddenly, he finds himself in his second straight day, uh, a third set super breaker to decide things. Just to put into perspective now, over these past three days, because Fodnini was one of those guys who did play on day one now, uh, he's played 10 total sets, two third set or two fifth set 10 point breakers. Guys, gotta be gassed, but he's also gotta be amped that he escaped this match with Jordan Thompson, ends up scrapping out a 7-6-6-1-3-6-4-6-7-6-10-4 victory. And I mean, you could see it in the celebration post-match. Fonini was amped after securing this win. Yeah, he ha- he did some, uh, some Medvedev-esque stuff at the U.S. Open, right? He was pointing to his ear, looking at the crowd, you know, wanting the, wanting the whatever they were, the booze, the negative noise, because everybody, of course, there wanted Thompson to pull it out. But, no, I mean, look, Fonini did a lot of things right in this match. But, I mean, as we talked about the day before, I mean, yesterday we were on the pod talking about, man, this is going to be a grind of a match. Um, and, you know, after that second set, I was like, okay, maybe not. Maybe Fabio's just got this out, figured out. But... Of course, Jordan Thompson comes back in that fighting spirit that he does, wins the third and fourth set, 6-3, 6-4, respectively. Um, And then we have the fifth set breaker, right? Um, And that fifth set breaker was very interesting. As Once again, though, as soon as Fognini got the momentum, able to capitalize on it, and ran with the rest of it. And so that's the most impressive part. He's been able to get into the tough situations and dig himself out. And look, he's in a good spot now. Yeah, he's probably gassed, and he's probably you know, physically hurting more than he would like to. But in terms of where he's at mentally right now, he's got to be feeling pretty good. Yeah, uh, I mean, if he can feel anything, that's a plus at this point. I agree with <laughs> right. you. He's got to just be in so much pain. And uh, we know, you know, we've read about what he and his wife like to do when they're playing Grand Slams, what their traditions are during those sorts of tournaments. So got to wonder if he's got any leg strength left for that after a match like this, after the three days his, he's been through. Nevertheless, you're right, Jamie. I mean, you could see it on his face. It, Jordan Thompson, an Australian player, the Australian crowd vociferously supporting him the entire time. And that sort of, you know, amped Fonini up. Now, Thompson just didn't really have a weapon uh, to hurt Fodnini with, and I think you look at the unforced error winner count, uh, that Fodnini hit 70 winners against 77 unforced errors, show uh, who whose uh, terms this match was played on. But yeah, credit to Jordan Thompson, who left it all out there, who absolutely gave every ounce in the end. It just wasn't quite enough to knock off Fodnini, who you look at where he's at in the draw now. I mean, this bottom portion of the draw, Jamie, Roger Federer is just He's got to be licking his chops. Um, but I feel like that's a conversation we can have as we head into the second week uh, because, you know, for Fabio now, he is going to take on, I believe, the number 22 seed, Guido Pea. Uh, that'll be a match, a third-round match we'll cover in a couple of days. Uh, but, yeah, for Fab- Fabio, great win. Any any final thoughts on this one? 
No, just a real entertaining match. And, you know, it, it, you hurt a little bit for Thompson in this one because, you know, that fighting spirit is never it's never fun to see that die out in this sort of fashion. You know, of course, credit to Fonini for getting it done. But, um, you know, Thompson's fired up. Leighton Hewitt in the box, continuing to pump him up. Everything was so serious. I think Jordan Thompson did a phenomenal job of adapting his game, specifically in the third and fourth sets, because, you know, he started going after the ball. I mean, especially even on first serve, I mean, he really started tagging the ball, which was, you know, impressive for me because, you know, hey, he's not just a grinder out there trying to wear somebody down. He was really trying to push um, the envelope, if you will, and, you know, ultimately just came up a little bit short against the 12 seed, but a really fun, entertaining match, another one that went over four hours and, and a treat to anybody who got to watch at least part of it. Yeah, you talk about going for broke. Uh, Fabio Fanini, not someone who strikes you as patient, but if you give him enough chances, he's such a natural ball strike that he is going to go on streaks of winners. So I agree. Great for Thompson to change uh, courses throughout that match. Almost got the upset done, and even though he didn't, there were a few upsets on the day. Let's hit those next. You start on the women's side. Uh, Carlos Suarez Navarro knocks out at the number 11 seed, Arnia Sabalenka, in one of the first-round matches played yesterday. Suarez Navarro, a 7-6, 7-6 winner. Uh, she is also playing her last Australian Open, so fun to see what she's got left in the tank. The other women's upset on the day outside of Wozniak and Suarez Navarro, Julia Gerges, someone I had circled, and I think others did as well as a potential third round, maybe even second week player here in this uh, Australian Open. She knocks out the number 13 seed Petra Martic 4-6-6-3-7-5. Jamie, uh, just so so you know, three seeds lost today. Six had lost the previous two days combined. Here are the seeds who are out thus far. Kanta, Vandrusova, Anisimova, Steven, Sevastova, Striskova, now Yastremska, Sabalenka, or Martic. Did I name anyone there that it shocks you? that they are out at this point. Um, I think we already covered we already covered the ones from yesterday. I mean, not really. Um, none of those are none of those are horribly sort of glaring to me that we haven't already touched on. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I would say Sabalenka, 6-6 six and six is going to happen. And I mean, yeah. it was if anyone was affected by the early morning wins, it's Sabalenka, who's such a big ball striker that when her timing is even thrown off a little bit, things can look shaky. Uh, but I agree with you. I think what's notable thus far is through three days, you know, Anisimova, Von Trusova, did you maybe second weeks, quarterfinals, fine. But that we haven't lost one of our big title contenders yet on the women's side, that to me is notable and something, again, yeah. to keep a, keep a flyer on as you're watching Night 4's action uh transpire. On the men's side, five seeds lost today after we had only four lose in total uh, the previous two days. We talked about Dimitrov and Berrettini already. Adding to that list, Marin Cilic, upset on paper. He knocks off Benoit Paire in a fifth set breaker, 10-3, Nishioka knocks off Dan Evans, 6-4, Milman straight sets over Hubie Hercatch, 6-4, You add those three to the list of Songa, Shapovalov, FAA, Chorich. Again, I think it's notable, Jamie, that sure, on paper, Chilich, Nishioka, Milman upsets, but we know the context of that match. Her catch, five sets, 
Evans, five sets, both gassed. Marin Cilic, former Grand Slam champion. Never a shock to see him make a third round at a major. Plus, Nishioka playing so well. I have to say, what's notable to me through three days on the men's side, there really haven't been, outside of maybe Shapovalov, that prominent of an upset. Yeah, I mean, we already talked about the FAA one, of course. Yeah, um, but I mean, I think you're right. A lot of those don't really feel like upsets. Chilich won. I mean, he was the favorite in that match, even though he was going up against Benoit Pair. I mean, I don't know about you. I had that one in my bracket. Nishioka I had over Dan Evans as well. You can go back to the women's for just a second. I had Suarez Navarro over Sabalenka in that one. So and none you of them... love Carla. Oh, well, you know, who can not? That backhand. <laughs> beautiful. Uh, but no, for real. I mean, they, they didn't really feel like upsets. Um, even if on paper, you know, they upset someone like a 30 seed or a 20 seed, you know, a 21 seed, something like that. You know, it, it just didn't really feel like it, especially when you put into the mix someone like a Marin Chilich. It's like, yeah, it's not really an upset. But no, no, you're right. I mean, in terms of sort of avoiding chaos, for the most part, it's been avoided so far. Yeah, and again, if you're Roger Federer, half of those seeds were in your section. We mm-hmm. mentioned Shapovalov, gone. Dimitrov, gone. Hercatch, gone. There's a scenario where he doesn't... I mean, I, it's not a scenario. It's a fact. Roger Federer will not see a seed until the fourth round at the earliest. and like, yeah. Or until the fourth round, excuse me, until I think the quarterfinals at the earliest. And if you're Roger Federer, that's a freaking win. I mean, all these guys are good, I know. But if you're drawing it up beforehand... Uh, that's a win for him. But speaking of Roger Federer, uh, just we'll get to those results in the seeds in a second. I'll just wrap up here. There are five three-set battles and 24 total WTA matches today. The other three setters, Sorebs, Tormo, Heather Watson, Own Shabur, all three-set winners for Watson and Sorebs, Tormo. Those were first-round matches, respectively. On the men's side, we've already talked about the five-sets battles we had. There were four on the day, three four-set battles in 16 total matches. So really not that chaotic of the day, and you look through the rest of the results. Let's start with the women and work our way down. You look at the top seeds. None of the top uh, 14 seeds dropping sets on the day. Barty, Osaka, Kvitova, Serena, Keys, Kennan, Mertens, all winners through in straight sets for Mertens. That was a first-round match. You go down the rest of the way. Ali Risk, Maria Sakaria, Alexandrova, Chiang Wang, Kantave, Rybakina, Pavlchenkova, all straight set winners. And, uh, you know, Townsend, Swatik, Zhang, straight sets as well. Of that list, uh, you know, anyone jump out to you today as particularly impressive that maybe you expected to have a little bit more trouble i mean not really i mean those those two this this is sort of when we're getting into the um, i don't know i don't know what you want to say the sort of the mix of a major right it's like the second round okay here are some matches that happen right you know a lot of times it's not the seeded matchups you don't want to you know disrespect them and say you know this wasn't a match that everybody was looking out for but a lot of times it's like yeah okay par for the course right this is what we expected here we are. That's a win. I mean, you get somebody like a Mertens who just blows somebody out two and zero. Like you said, that was that first round. So, I mean, there's some there's some matches that you see and you know maybe raise an eyebrow, but for the most part, no, none of the ones that you listed out there really stuck out to me as something exceptional. Yeah, I think for me it was that Kvitova came down from breaks in both sets of her match to win 5-5 five and five was particularly impressive. That we haven't said Madison Key's name once 
to me is reassuring because I have a big uh, a big bet on her making a deep run here in this tournament. Uh, so that's always good news to me. And I think we just uh, that all of these seeds keep advancing, as you mentioned. It, it sets up well for rounds three, rounds four. We're getting again the Osaka Golf matchup. We're on one match away from Wozniacki Serena. Anything you might have wanted at the beginning of this tournament, we are that close to getting on the women's side. You look at the men's side again, similar, uh, fairly routine. The only seeds to drop sets today: Bautista Goot and Paya for Bautista Goot. He dropped the first set against Michael Moe before winning in four. Paya drops a third set before winning in four sets against Beret. Uh, everyone else, pretty smooth sailing. Novak Djokovic, Federer, straight set wins over their opponents. Tsitsipas gets a walkover over Cole Schreiber. Schwartzman, straight sets over Davidovich Fokina. Lajovic, straight sets over Polmans. Rayonich, straight sets over Garin. Query, a four-set winner over Barankis. And Fuchovic, uh, following up his win over Shapovalov, which is often very difficult to do, knocks off another ATP Next Gener in Yannick Sinner in straight sets. Of those results, Jamie, anything in particular stand out to you? Um, I mean, I think the one with Sinner and Fuchovic, that's impressive. Uh, uh, I mean, that that's impressive on Fuchovic's part because he backs up a really, really good win. And like you said, that's difficult to do, of course. But now he's setting himself up and what he's got Tommy Paul next, correct? So really yeah, big, really big opportunity. Tommy Paul. Exactly. Really big opportunity for him there because Tommy Paul, who we already went through it, has just had a marathon match. I think, you know, you look at that match and both of them are seeing it as a big opportunity to get to the next round. And both of them have a great shot, I think, of winning that match. And they're talking themselves up and thinking about that. But yeah, that's very impressive to be able to back that up, get himself in a position to be able to push one more round into the Australian Open, um, particularly in a position where he probably didn't expect or at least other people looking from the outside didn't expect him to be um he's in a good spot and he's probably feeling pretty good about it yeah it's a really fun one to watch for me the guy who i took notice of yesterday milos raonic who has just made everything look so routine thus far in his two wins over giustino and garen in straight sets it's going to be a really fun third round matchup between him and stefano Tsitsipas, who Tsitsipas is the beneficiary of the walkover but one-handed backhand you imagine raonic just going to be hitting missiles of first serves at that backhand uh I'm not going to say upset alert because I still think Tsitsipas is a prohibitive favorite and I still think he has just enough weapons at this point to hurt Milos Raonic, but that's a really fun one uh, as we get ready for the third round. But before we can get to the third round, of course, we have to finish the second round and that's what we will be doing in tonight's action. Quick wrap here, Jamie, because I know we we both got to go back to the real world, but (laughs) you look at some of the previews. I made my power rankings of of my favorite matches tomorrow. You tell me where you agree or disagree. Um, all right, I'm biased, obviously. I'm just going to list through my top five really quick. Number one, Bellis Mukova. Number two, Fritz Anderson. Three, Benchich Ostapenko. Four, Svitolina Davis. Five, Townsend Pavlchenkova. How does yours look? I think you're uh, – I agree with for the most part. I probably bumped Fritz Anderson up to one, actually, just because that's one that I am very interested in. Um, I'm fine with the rest of your order. I do think the Ostapenko match is going to be a very interesting one. Definitely, certainly one I will be looking at. Um, I think, too, I got to <laughs> I gotta um, add some more to the list. Of course, maybe these are some of my favorites. But Kyrgios Simone, um, I think mm-hmm. you got to put in the mix. That one's No, I was saving that for last. I was going to say, and of course, the one I'm truly uh, looking most forward to, your match versus Kyrgios, which I was going to ask for a quick preview of. Hate to do that of, to you. Hate yeah, to do what that we should you. expect from you before we go. No, but that's fair. Yeah, uh, yeah, Kyrgios Simone, um, and then Sepi Vavrinka. Uh, okay. I think I've always got a soft spot for Vavrinka. You know that. 
Um, but I think that will be a very good one. That one, of course, one of the latest ones that it's slated to go on Margaret Court there um, about 3 a.m. Eastern time. So definitely a later one. Maybe it'll still be going uh, by the time I get up tomorrow. But we shall see. Those are the ones I'm definitely looking out for. Yeah. Hatchinov, Yimmer, fun. Munar, Paparin, fun. Next Gen or Gofan, Air Bear. Just two guys who have clearly been playing tennis at country clubs their entire lives so yeah a lot of different fun things to watch throughout the day and of course if you've missed any of the action we encourage you go back check out our website crackedrackets.com where you can find the first day's mini break second day's mini break and obviously you'll be able to find this one as well and all of our content moving forward we also know there's other tennis stuff going on in the world right now college tennis still ongoing we have an episode Chris and I covering that and we'll have a GSP coming out I believe Friday morning previewing this weekend's ITA kickoff weekend, uh, but a lot of fun things going on. And for the immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, f- it, Facebook, it's at Cracked Rackets uh, for those updates. Have to give a shout out before we go again to our friends Diadem and Aerobar uh, who make us able to do these midday podcasts. And of course, if you if you've forgotten from earlier, for Diadem, use the code CR50 to get fifty percent your offer. Uh, your your purchase, excuse me, of Diadem goodies for Aerobar. Same thing, Cracked 30 to get 30% off your purchase. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westhoff, who have a fuck of an editing job to do. And again, we ask them to have these out and ready for you each day before play begins. They kindly oblige, oblige so thank you to them. Shout out to you, Jamie, again. Uh, we always appreciate getting the chance to talk tennis with you. It's something we're going to do inevitably, so we figured might as well just record what is otherwise an ongoing text dialogue throughout the day right yes indeed because you know even outside of this i'm still going to be texting you and calling you the same so you and i (laughs) doesn't matter (laughs) no that's half the fun and maybe someday we'll allow you listeners to take a look at those things we have cr after cr after dark is about two weeks away from it's in the works Uh, yeah yeah so be on the lookout for that it's either going to be called that or overserved Uh, i feel like i should quack that out so someone doesn't take that name but Mm. we can save that for another time but for my wonderful co-host James Foster McDonald, our super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at both the Diadem and Aerobar, and our entire teams at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. James, what do we tell the people? That's a lunch break. <laughs> that was really good. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 